My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and today we're going to finish off Matthew chapter 27 starting at verse 57 and uh, this is the burial of Jesus and uh, just a really important time in the event timeline from Jesus dying on the cross to when he rose uh, when he rose again uh, a few days later so let's pick up from verse 57 now when evening had come there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had honed out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. The bodies of criminals who were crucified were most often left on their crosses to rot or be eaten by wild animals. But the Jews didn't want, the Jewish people did not want uh, such a horrific display during the Passover. Remember, they didn't want him to be crucified on that day. And the Romans were known to grant the corpses of executed men to friends or relatives for a proper burial. So what does Joseph of Arimathea do? He wraps him in a clean linen cloth, uh, which was just following the burial traditions of the day, best that he could. Uh, they didn't have very much time because the Sabbath was drawing near. Luke 23 tells us that. And then he puts him into a new tomb. So this is a brand new tomb that Joseph of Arimathea has paid for. And it would it was incredibly expensive to have a tomb dug out of a rock and uh, interestingly enough, Guzik makes this observation, Jesus came into the world from a virgin's womb and he came forth again from a virgin tomb. I love that observation. Uh, that tomb had never been used before. Spurgeon, it was a new tomb wherein no remains had previously been laid and thus if he came forth from there, it would be of no suspicion that another had arisen. Nor could it be imagined that he arose through touching some old prophet's bones as he did who was laid in Elijah's grave. Uh, so then a large stone was rolled against the door, uh, which was a customary way to seal the, a very expensive tomb. Because Joseph of Arimathea uh, had this tomb made for his own family, no doubt. And it was in a garden not far from the site of the crucifixion. The tomb would have had a uh, small entrance, probably one or two compartments where the bodies would be laid out after being you know, mummified with spices and ointments, etc. And customarily what Jewish people would do is leave the bodies in there for a few years until they'd broken down to just bones, and then the bones would be placed in a small stone wooden box known as ossuary. And this ossuary uh, remained in the tomb with the remains of all the other family members. Now... 
The door to the tomb was typically made of a very heavy circular shaped stone and it would have run in a groove down in a channel so that it could be moved, but it would have taken a few strong men to move that stone. And it was done there so that people wouldn't disturb the remains of what was in the tomb. Now, John chapter 19 verse 42 tells us that the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that Jesus was laid in was was close to the site of Jesus' crucifixion. And uh, it reminds us that God had a plan for that tomb all along that was different than what Joseph had. Joseph invested a lot of money into a plan that God used for something different. I think there's something in that for somebody today. Um, the cross and the power of the resurrection are always permanently and closely connected. Um Let's move on to verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to get together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. They said, sir, they, they, they're trying to be honouring uh, and respectful of Pilate. Uh, the day before, these same religious leaders had rejected the king of kings. They didn't have any respect for Jesus. Now, the Bible says on the next day, which must mean uh, Barclay says that the chief priests and Pharisees actually approached Pilate on the Sabbath with their request. And if they did that, it's clear to see how radically they broke the Sabbath law. So they remind Pilate what Jesus had said. Now they called Jesus the deceiver, which is ironic, uh, because he never deceived anybody. After three days, I will rise. Um, what I find amazing about this is that the enemies of Jesus remembered what Jesus said more than the disciples of Jesus. The disciples kept forgetting that Jesus said three days later I'll rise again. Um, now, these religious leaders also said something very, very interesting. They said while he was still alive. In other words, he's dead now. We know he's dead. Which means that they did not believe in something that has been uh, promulgated, which is called the swoon theory, okay, which is a, a theory that denies the resurrection, saying that Jesus actually never died on the cross, he just swooned on the cross, and somehow he was wonderfully revived in the tomb to walk out, but he never actually died, nor did he defeat, de defeat death. And uh, David Guzik wrote this, uh, he said, there was a humorous letter to the editor of a Christian magazine accurately uh who accurately evaluated the swoon theory uh dear eutychus our preacher said on easter that jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health what do you think sincerely bewildered dear bewildered beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes nail him to a cross Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens. Sincerely, Eutychus. <laughs> I love that. 
lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. They, they couldn't have been afraid of the disciples. They knew the disciples were terrified and in, and in hiding. That was just what they said was not true. They were not scared of the disciples. They were scared of Jesus actually doing what he said he would do. That's what they were scared about. Um, you know, think about the, uh, their words. They said, and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. Um, see, they knew that it would do nothing for the disciples to just steal the dead body of Jesus. What are they going to do? Like prop up a dead body and go, see, look, he's, he's risen. No. The only thing they were scared of is Jesus actually coming back to life. That's what they were scared of. They were scared of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But at least they actually believed it was possibly true. Think about this. On Saturday morning, in between Friday and Sunday, the chief priests and the Pharisees actually had a better resurrection message than any disciple had. Because at least they were preaching that it could happen. So they say, command the tomb that it might be made secure. And he says, you have a guard, make it as secure as you know how. Which shows that the the Jewish leaders and the Romans were both well aware that they needed to guard the tomb. So they took all the measures that they needed to to do that. And all that did is just gave greater testimony to the miracle of the resurrection. Because if Jesus' tomb was unguarded, uh, people could suggest that an unknown person or somebody else stole the body. And it'd be very difficult to refute it. But the tomb was guarded and it was well guarded. And it was well guarded because... Uh, it stood to benefit all the religious leaders and the Roman leaders for it to be guarded. So Jesus says, you have a guard, go use it. Um, the Jewish people didn't need Pilate's permission to use the guards because during the Passover, they were given guards by Pilate to use. Um, and... Poole says this about uh, the uh, religious leaders. Vain men, as if the same power that was necessary to raise and quicken the dead could not also remove the stone and break through the watch they had set. But by their excessive care and diligence, instead of preventing Christ's resurrection as they intended, they have confirmed the truth and belief of it to all the world. Yeah. That's what they did. All they did is just make it easier to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So they set a stone and they set uh, a guard in front of it. The tomb was secured by the stone. We talked about that. It was a material obstacle. Uh, they were large, and it was it was it. You had to move it to get into the tomb, right? So it was a physical obstacle. Uh, if you had enough of the disciples, they could have moved it. But they couldn't have done it quietly, certainly without like the guards hearing it just a few feet away. Uh, but they would have had to work together to actually move it. And that wasn't likely because the disciples would not, they'd all run in different directions. The tomb, more importantly from the uh, guards perspective, actually was secured by a seal, which was an actual obstacle of human authority. Now what this was would have been a rope that would have gone from one side of the uh, stone to the other covering the entrance of the tomb. And and it would have been on either side of the doorway and it would have been held in place with wax on both sides, securing the rope over the stone. 
and which means that you couldn't move the stone without breaking the wax seals. Now, from the guards' perspective, that's what they were guarding. They were guarding that seal not being broken. They were responsible for whatever was sealed. And they were going to make sure that that seal was not broken. And the only way you could break the seal was to move the stone. And why? Why Why did the Roman soldiers want to guard that? Because they knew that their careers and their lives were on the line if they didn't guard it. That, that Roman seal carried a huge amount of legal authority. It's more than just like a yellow t- t- piece of tape around a, you know, police border crime scene, you know, do not enter here. Um, to break a Roman seal was to devi- defy Roman authority. And the stone was secured by the authority of the Roman Empire. And it was secured by a guard, which was now an obstacle of human strength. So you've got a material object. You've got a human authority. You've got a human strength. Uh, a guard usually had four soldiers. Two watched while the other two rested. And this guard may have had more. We don't know. Uh, the soldiers would have been equipped. They would have had their sword, their shield, spears, daggers, armors. Uh, they were Roman soldiers. They, they didn't care about Jew, Jewish laws. They didn't care about a Jewish king. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about rituals. They were called to secure a tomb of a criminal. So the only sacred thing at that tomb was the Roman seal. That's all they cared about. And if that was broken, then their careers were ruined and they could possibly be executed. Um, Think about this. There were Roman soldiers who, when Jesus was on the cross, were cold-blooded enough to um, gamble over a dying man's clothes. They're not the kind of people who are going to be tricked by trembling disciples trying to move a stone. Nor were they going to jeopardize their own careers and lives by sleeping at their post. But what's interesting is that even though there was a physical object that was stopping Jesus coming out of their tomb, there was that human authority, that seal from Rome stopping Jesus coming out. There was the guards, the, the human physical strength. It didn't matter. They all fell before the power of Jesus. See, material obstacles don't stand a chance against Jesus. Human authority can't stand against a resurrected Jesus and human strength cannot stand before a resurrected Jesus. Now, we're about to read in Matthew chapter 28 in the next chapter what happened to those big, strong, burly guards. Uh, but the observation is simply this. Nothing can stop Jesus. What does that mean for you? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us a saviour and nothing can stop the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives. Thank you for that. God, no matter what the world tries to do to stop us, Lord, nothing can stop Jesus If God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Will that that be our cry and our reminder in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.